Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. He is risen. Good morning. Well, there was a man who was going to go on his dream vacation and take his family with him. He was going to go to Israel. But the problem was, at least to him, he had to take his mother-in-law too. Now please, mother-in-laws, this is nothing against you. It's just this man and his mother-in-law were not in good terms. She would criticize him for everything, from the clothes he wears to the bow ties he wears. Everything he did and said, she would criticize him. So she had to go too. Well, he was not going to let her mess up his dream vacation. So they went and saw all the sights, all the wonderful things. The empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And the day before they were going to leave, his mother-in-law died. Now, the problem was, is what to do with the body. So he went to the local mortuary and talked to the person there. What should I do? The man said, well, I'll tell you what. If you send the body back to America, it's going to cost you at least $7,000 to $10,000. But if you bury her here, it only costs you about a couple hundred dollars. And the man hesitated and paused. And the man from the mortuary said, uh, is there a problem? He said, yeah, there's a huge problem here. What's the problem? 2,000 years ago, they buried a man and he came back to life. Get it, see, buried my life. Forget it, let's go on. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel. It wasn't that bad, Zane. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, starting at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Who, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember now, he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. What's the case here? 
The case is, there's an empty tomb. An empty tomb. In fact, William Wand, Oxford church historian, said, all the strictly historical evidence we have is in favor of an empty tomb. And those scholars who reject it ought to recognize that they do so on some other ground than that which is of scientific history. Scholars agree the tomb was empty. Now that creates a problem. If the tomb is empty and you so choose not to believe that it was a miraculous event, then you have to come up with other reasons for it to have happened. And we're going to go through quickly some of those. One was the wrong tomb. The women and the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Now there's a problem with this. Why? Because it was a highly public crucifixion. So when they put him in the tomb, they sealed it and they put a band of Roman guards around it. I think the tomb with the guards around it is the tomb that they're supposed to go to, don't you? So it creates a problem. Especially the fact that we know that the women saw where Joseph and Nicodemus laid the body. It wasn't the wrong tomb. So we can mark that one off. How about this one? Someone stole the body. Whether friend or foe, they had to get past the heavily guarded tomb, plus break the seal and move the heavy stone. That's the plan. Now, if you can picture this, the stone weighed probably a ton. It would have taken at least 12 to 15 men to move the stone. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute, there, there's 11 disciples. Yes, there's 11 disciples, so they would have had to got some help from the Roman guards. Plus, remember, these men were scared out of their wits. They wouldn't hid themselves. So, to actually go to the Roman guards and say, hey, we're going to take the body. Will you help us take the body? Well, the Roman guards would say, sure, why not? Because, see, if you take this body and the seal is broken, then we will pay the penalty of death. So sure, take it. So again, this is very curious. And if it was a a foe, somebody that didn't like the idea of Jesus rising from the dead, then number one, why would they take the body? And number two, all they had to do was just pop it out and say, hey, here's your Messiah looking good. Again, we can reject that. The other thing is we have to realize too is how the disciples, their lives were changed and they were persecuted. Again, continuing the witness that He is risen from the dead. Now there is the swoon theory. And what that means is basically to think that Jesus didn't die. He went into a coma or shock. So, He basically revived in the tomb because it was cool and then came out. Well, let's think about this one real quick, okay? First of all, he was whipped 39 lashes. 
with a cat of nine tails, which had bits of metal and glass and shredded his back and his front. And then we have to think about them hanging him on a cross, driving nails through his wrists and his feet. Now we have to say, look at him, he's exposed for six hours in the heat of the day. Then we have to look at the Roman guard taking his spear and piercing him into the heart. Then we have to look at the Roman soldiers who basically, if you will, they were experts in death. And they broke the legs of the other two because they couldn't breathe. Jesus was already dead, so just to make sure, they, they basically, you know, you poke. Well, they took a spear and jabbed it all the way into his heart. We know this because blood and water came out. But now, Jesus in the tomb was wrapped with linen and spices, a hundred pounds worth. So now Jesus laying there would have to revive himself, somehow get out of the raveling of the wrap. But here's the really interesting part. Then he either knocked on the stone for the Roman guards and said, hey, somebody's knocking, let's open the door. Or he moved it himself. Again, not plausible. But still, see, if you don't want to believe, you have to come up with these things. And this one, if you will, is probably the most comical. See, Jesus had a twin brother. His name was Hiromi. I don't know if you knew that or not. They were separated at birth. But see, he happened to come into Jerusalem right at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he realized, hey, that's my twin brother. And he saw how everybody really loved and adored this guy. So what he did was, he took the place of Jesus. And people were like, hey, it's Jesus. You're all looking at me like I'm a boo. People actually believe this. Why? Because if they go to the fact the tomb was empty, then they have to also come to the conclusion of eight things that we're going to talk about. And again, we'll go over them fairly quickly. The first thing that they're going to have to basically come to the conclusion is that God exists. See, if God was able to resurrect Jesus from the dead, then it proves that He has absolute sovereignty over life and death. God exists. See, there's there's a lot of things that you can say, and we went over some of these, but there's just a few things I just want to bring your attention to that all atheists have to deal with. And what they do is they backtrack and they have to basically take the Bible and just discard it. And then if you show them anything of historians that are secular, again, it's just it was written by somebody else or something. Why? Because if you go to this fact, that the tomb is empty and God exists, then God created everything. And if God created everything and God has the power to raise people from the dead, then they also have to go before Him as judge. They don't want that. But see, if Jesus rose again from the dead, it proves the existence of God and it validates who Jesus claimed to be, namely the Son of God, the Messiah. In fact, the Pharisees and Sadducees asked Jesus for a sign. And Jesus answered and said to them, When is evening you say it is fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! 
You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. I'm going to rise again from the dead. So, again, it validates that Jesus, namely, is the Son of God and the Messiah. But it also proves His sinless character and divine nature. Paul, speaking again in Acts, says this, And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the Father. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that He raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption, no decay. Now, one of the arguments that they do have is that, well, after three days in that climate, then the body would have decayed and they would not have been able to tell who it was anyway. Well, first of all, he was beaten so that he didn't even look like a man anymore. Second of all, you have to realize this was spring. Spring is very similar to our spring. It's the same time, year. Now, it's a very similar to climate in California. So during this time, it still gets cool in the evening. Plus, he's buried in a tomb, in a rock-hewn-out tomb, which would keep the coolness there. His body would still have been in full, if you will, together as much as it could be because of the dampness of the tomb. So again, you have to go to the X yard to make any sense to say that he did not rise again from the dead. So it proves his sinless character and divine nature. It also, number four, validates Old Testament prophecies that foretold of Jesus' suffering and resurrection. Again, Paul speaking says, it was his custom to go into the Sabbaths in the synagogues, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying this, Jesus, whom I preach to you, is in Christ. Meaning he went to the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Christ must rise again from the dead. So he probably went to Psalm 22, he probably went to Psalm 53, Daniel 9, 27. There are several scriptures he could have gone to. Again, saying, look, the Messiah was going to be cut off. Again, what does this do? It validates Old Testament prophecies. It also, number five, authenticates his own claims. Several times Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. They are going to beat me. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. I am going to be crucified. After three days, I'll rise again from the dead. Now there's been an argument of saying, well, if Jesus said this all the time, then why were the disciples, why were they bummed? Why were they, like, didn't know, like, oh, big deal, they're just crucifying. He's going to rise again from three days. It's because of the same reason you don't believe. It's because this is miraculous. Who would have thought it? They were heartbroken. They couldn't believe that their Messiah, their Lord, was crucified. And because of that, Jesus had to show himself to them. In fact, Jesus, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he showed himself to 500 people. 
And yet again, they disclaim that as evidence too. But authenticates his claims. It also confirms the gospel message. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 14, Paul writes and says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not then rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. But now Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive. Confirming the gospel message. It is true. Now, he's also the first fruit, unlike other religions. Christianity has something totally different. What is it? Their Messiah, their Lord, the founder of the religion is not dead. You can't find his tomb with him in it. He's not there. Every man in history has died. Every religious founder of their own religion is dead. Jesus Christ is alive and He is the first fruits, which means what? It means the promise that His followers will do the same. We shall be alive. Again, continuing on in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Which brings me to my last point. There is life after death. That which stirs in your heart is real. That wanting of something more is real. And it can't be satisfied in science. Should I even say science? Science fiction. It's one thing science is something, just like I was talking about, you take evidence and you look at it, you test it, and that's science. But see, what we've done now is they've taken what they think they know and then they they actually prophesy what can happen with science. And yet they have no foreknowledge of that. So it becomes science fiction. Well, we believe in a a Messiah that died but then rose again from the dead. The evidence we look at is evidence that takes, again, faith. Not faith as in looking wishfully, blindly at something. No, faith is in trusting something because see, every argument really falls apart in this one truth. Always remember this. Now, we're not all apologists. We're not intellectuals. I sit there and I watch and I listen to these intellectual debates, atheism versus Christianity a lot. 
And the thing, I, I can't argue with them too, but I always find it fascinating because what they do is they eliminate God. It's all from man's perspective. And in Scripture it says God laughs at the nations. He laughs at people, but they say there is no God. God exists whether you want to believe in Him or not. God is. Well, how do we know these things you say? God has given us, as we've learned, infallible proofs. One is creation. Somebody had to start it. Oh, don't think the atheists don't believe that. They just believe that there has to be some other intelligence. Anybody else out there but God? Maybe aliens started it. Somebody from a different planet came and planted seeds here for life. Yeah, that's what happened. Or maybe maybe those gases we see are actually some kind of deities out there. I mean, anything except God becoming a man, teaching us the way home, saying that you were made so much more, that you are the center of my creation, and I love you, has to be something more. And the problem is, as they say, this he's not a fair judge. If Jesus is the only way, then it's not fair. It's not right, says them. Now, I say that because, let's face it, there's not a perfect judge on this earth. You say, how do you say that? There's been good, righteous judges. Yeah, but they don't know all the ins and outs. Nobody does on this earth. I don't know your motive. Jed could come up here. I could be saying something. He can slap me. Kind of like the Academy Award. I wouldn't say anything against you, though, Melissa. You are my niece. And I do love you. But Jed could come up here and slap me. Now, you would look at this and go, what's going on? Why did Jed slap Luke? I can't believe Jed did that. And people would be going, Jed was wrong. Jed should never slap the pastor. And then some of you may be even saying, man, it's about time somebody slapped that dude. I wish it was me. Hit him again, Jed! But see, you don't know his motive. You don't know what was going on inside him. Just as you don't know my motive of upsetting him, maybe. You don't know the heart. Take a judge that would know inside and out everything, every angle, every motive, every past history. Every day of a life of a person, every thought, every action, every reaction, everything about that life, only he could judge righteously. Only he could judge with justice. In Deuteronomy 32.4, Moses writing says, He is the rock God is. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth, without injustice, righteous and upright, upright is he. In Zephaniah 3 5, it says, The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning, excuse me, he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. Psalm 97 2. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. 
in Psalm 119. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. In Psalm 103, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Please understand this. Because you'll hear it. What about the person that never heard? What about the person that never heard about Jesus Christ? Because you're hearing this a lot. It's wrong. Well, again, Scripture, Paul says, and we'll get into this soon. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Basically saying all humanity judges other people. We judge each other a lot of times unrighteously. Just like if Jeb would have come up and slapped me. And I would have you to know I would turn my other cheek for him to slap the other side. But if he slapped me a third time as the Irish... No, I'm kidding. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man... You who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? And then Jesus says it this way. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in Him is condemned already. Because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And in Hebrews 4.13, the writer says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give an account. I would rather have a righteous, true judge that sees all rather than just half truth. And yet still, a judge that would actually take my place, a judge that would take my penalty, my punishment upon himself. Hear the heart of God. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die? Why? God's heart is for all mankind to come to him. That's why right now is an acceptable time. I have heard you. 
And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation today. Do you hear my voice? See, we're responsible and accountable for what we know. For what we hear. The person has never heard. That's God's business. My business is to share with anybody that has not heard. I have no, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what happens to the person that lived on a remote island with a tribe of people that never heard about Jesus Christ. But I can tell you this, Scripture says that God has put in them a knowing that there is a God. That's why every, every civilization has always had a God or gods to worship. Because they were made to worship. They were made to have fellowship with God. Now them dying without knowing, you know what? That's God's business. I just know this. God is a just, righteous, fair judge. I trust Him to do rightly. And I know that when we get to heaven, as it says, we will just fall down and worship Him because everything He does is right and true. That's not the problem. The problem with many people here in this country, they have heard. And they are responsible for what God has told them. And as you see fire basically spread through China, through Iran, the gospel message, then all you can do is say, this is God. Why? Because God's heart is that nobody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every one of us. It's what confirms the truth and faith that we have in Him. But it also should stir in us. Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. Give me the desire to share this truth. Help me to stop letting the enemy keep me down from holding me to rejoice in what You have done. Because, see, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you will, brothers and sisters, that's what one of the reasons we should be coming together is to rejoice in Him who's done it all. Regardless of the sin or failure, regardless of the struggles, the pain, the sorrow, He is God and He has saved us and He has called us His children. He has adopted us as His own. And He says to us, Call me Father. To rejoice this Easter morning. Yes, He is risen. He is risen indeed. I heard the voices. I heard you singing. I heard joy. What is it about certain days that we can do this? Why not every day? Especially on Sundays. Because no matter how much you got kicked around out there, you want to know something? In God's presence, you belong. Your home. This is the place for joy. This is the place to acknowledge that He's done it all. Now, there is no judgment, no condemnation those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been freed. It's very simple. 
But Paul says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Remember I told you the atheists always have a problem. There's just certain powerful ones that just, you know, you have to just somehow throw them aside. One is creation. We already talked about that. The other is, if you will, the Old Testament and the prophecies that were pointing to Christ. And again, they have to cut it and shred because, again, they can't acknowledge that. But there's also somebody else. He stands there powerfully tall and strong. It's Jesus himself. What do you do with him? As C.S. Lewis said, you can call him a liar, a lunatic. You have the right. Or you have to fall down and call him God. You have no other choices. What do you do with Christ? The other is, we've been talking about, is the empty tomb. Now remember, there's a lot of stuff we can go through. I'm just telling you the main ones. The empty tomb, what do you do with it? Again, something had to happen. There was no miracle. There can be no miracles. There can be no God. Then there's the disciples. But they like to, again, cut that to shreds. They'll say, well, only really you can look at three of them that were really martyred. The other ones, historically, it's weak. And maybe it is, but what about those three? And then, probably, if you will, the biggest of the disciples in the sense of, what do you do with Paul? He hated the way. He was a Pharisee. He was doing good until Jesus met him. Then he had to do a 180. His life changed powerfully. No. No, they have to come up with something. Something to, again, we don't want this one to rule over us. Sound familiar? But, see, we confessed with our mouth the Lord Jesus we believed in our heart that God is raised from the dead. We're saved. See, for with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. That's it. That's saying, He is the one I believe. Now, you and I also have a testimony. Again, it wouldn't hold up into their law court. And what is it? It's a simple thing. It's like I used to tell my kids. If I ever denied that God was real, I'd be a liar. Because of the evidence in my life, so much in being there and guiding me through tough times, through good times. I have to confess that God is real. Maybe I'm a fool to you, we can say to the world, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. It changes lives. It gives purpose. It gives meaning. It gives joy and peace and love. Oh, we worship a wonderful God. He's risen. He's risen indeed. The tomb's empty. But as the old saying goes, came out of an empty tomb to fill empty hearts. 
this morning, is your heart empty? This morning, have you walked away from Him? This morning, do you know Him? What's holding you back? Is it your sin? Is it your pride? Because some may call you a fool. Is it your fears? What is it? You see, again, it proves that there's life after death. And there's life in this life. It's very simple. I can lead you in it. It's just a prayer. To what? You confess that He's Lord. That He did die. That He did rise again from the dead. That He did pay your penalty. That you can be free from your sins. That you can know this good Savior in a personal, intimate way. That you'll find that He is more than a Savior. He's a friend. But also Lord. If you would, bow your heads. Lord, we just thank You for this morning. We thank You for just the celebration that You rose from the dead. That You paid the price that You have given us life. That You have given us hope. That You have given us purpose, meaning. That You call us not only friend, but You call us child. Your child. That your heart's desire is to fellowship with each of us. I pray first of all is for us that follow you, Lord. I pray that you would stir in each of our hearts. That your spirit would awaken us. That we would hold on to the truth of your life in us with a death grip. Because only then can we truly understand it's a life grip. You've paid it all. You've done it all. You want to do it through us. Help us to hold, stop holding you back and submit ourselves unto you. We pray once again that you would fill us overflowing with your Spirit. Now to you that have walked away or maybe you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you a chance. It's really simple. It's just to believe that Jesus Christ did come out of that empty tomb. That He rose again from the dead. Proving that everything He claimed was true And it's a very simple truth. That He came to die in your stead. In your place. But again, 
not just to save you, but to fill you with His presence. To make you into a friend, a child, one who would know God. If this is your desire this morning, then if you would, I'm going to ask you to do something. Now, it's only for my eyes and just a few that's up here. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. And then I'll lead you in a prayer. Anyone at all this morning like to give their life to Jesus Christ or maybe even rededicate their lives? Maybe you feel like that you have not been walking with Him like you should be. And you so much desire to have an intimate relationship with Him. If that's your desire, then again, I just ask you to raise your hand. And let me pray for you. And then I may lead you in prayer. Father, I just thank You for, again, this time that we can get together. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would again confirm in our own hearts that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Bless this day with rejoicing. Bless this day with family. Rejoice this day with friends. Let us more than anything rejoice in this day that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And soon, and very soon, We'll be home. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.